Welcome to The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion Podcast. I'm Danielle Rodoichin. Each episode features a conversation with a creative mind about the things that inspire them or that have given their life meaning in some way. From books, to art, to a piece of jewellery, these objects are collected into a cabinet which resides in physical form in the attic at 5 Carlos Place, the Matches Fashion Townhouse in London. My guest today is Christian Louboutin. It's nearly 30 years now since he set up his shoe business in Paris. In that time, his signature red soles have become one of the most widely recognized and celebrated trademarks in the fashion industry. He's also expanded beyond women's shoes into men's footwear, handbags, fragrance, and makeup. He loves to travel and spends much of the year in Brazil or Egypt, and he loves to collect objects and antiques, picking up beautiful things wherever he goes or at the Drouot Auction House in Paris, which he visits nearly every day. I met him at one of his apartments in Paris, where he spoke to me about some of the things he finds inspiring. Christian Louboutin, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you today? I'm good, I'm good. It's a bit freezing today, but... You look quite cold. (laughs) I am, but it's fine. In five minutes, I'll get better. Yeah, so we're here in your uh, offices in um, Paris. Yes. Where you've been for several years. Well, I started my company in that street. So it's one of the offices of the of my company, but it's I don't have this office for a long time. But uh, I, yeah, my first little office with the first shop, which I had, first ever shop was, is still here on the number 19. Here it's number mm-hmm. five with Jean-Jacques Rousseau. And then the shop is on the number 19. So I never I never moved from that street. So you've slowly taken over more and more of the space, like mushrooming. Exactly. And like it's a very cool stain. area. Yeah. <laughs> it's very cool. It's near, quite near the Louvre. Yeah. Um, really central, amazing area yeah. to be in. Mm-hmm. It's, a be- it's a beautiful area. Uh, since I'm a kid, I know that area and I know the passage where we're just nearby. And... Um, and it changed a lot. It changed. Mm-hmm. I could see the change, yeah. but it's always been a very, very, very nice place. And mm-hmm. it's uh, yeah. At the end of the street, you have La Cour Carrée du Louvre. So you start by the Louvre. On the opposite side, you have something which is going to be the Fondation Pinot now for like contemporary art. So I'm sandwiched between two very interesting things. Mm-hmm. And and after that, you have the river, and then the river you have Le Pont des Arts, etc. So mm-hmm. any type of ballad that I start from my office. Is really nice. Do you hang out mainly in this area, or is it are there other parts of Paris? I think you grew up more in the 12th. Was it so further east? I but? grew up in the 12th arrondissement, which is east, completely east, mm. like by the Bois de Vincennes. So it's completely, it's really at the, it's not central. It's really at the border, and um, but then you know started to move a bit when I was 12, 13, 14, mm. 15, 16, etc. But also my different schools. Uh, I got expelled from different schools, so at mm. one point I had to go to a school which was not anymore in the, in the area, and uh, so my different schools were in different places. Mm. So I've been—I mean, I was born and raised in Paris, so I know Paris pretty well. You know, mm. if something goes wrong, I can always—I have a second job. You know, I would be the best taxi, best itinerary. Oh, that's taxi. funny because I was going to ask you what you would do if you were not a shoe designer. I would not necessarily want to be a taxi. <laughs> <laughs> you get beaten, <laughs> you've got the problem of Uber, you've got the gilet jaune and tout. So yeah. I may be interested in doing something else. No, you know what? If I had to do something else, 
two things. I would have two possibilities. One is, which I did for two years, would be to be a landscape uh, landscape designer, which is a thing that I always loved. And another thing, it requires less patience, still quite some patience, but less, I would say, which is uh, writing scripts. For films? Or? For films, yeah. For films. Mm. Probably for series. Probably for series, even actually now. It's, uh, yeah, almost more for series, but uh, definitely for films and series, yes. As in a, a series, a TV series like you see on Netflix or... Did you exactly. Watch? Yeah. Do exactly. you watch, are you a fan of Netflix? I'm a fan of movies in general. Okay. I'm a fan of movie, and uh, but I have to say series, which we were we used to call telefilm in French, or okay, telenovela in, in uh, Portuguese, in Brazilian, and um, it has changed a lot. And I could see, so I start to be quite interested by series, about, you know, Netflix or not Netflix, but mostly Netflix, I have to say. And because it's very well done, but the game of an actor can be so much more interesting when they have more time to develop. You know, a movie, like a 90 minutes movie, you have the main characters and then the rest is starting to be complicated. And, you know, probably the directors are focusing on the main characters. So often you have one or two characters which are really well developed and right. surprising, but the rest is a bit off. In a series, you can definitely have for actors, actresses, etc., the possibility to really change and move and surprise people who are going to watch it. So it's actually really interesting in writing it because you can definitely twist your characters. Mm, it's a bit like with The Sopranos or something when they really develop each character yeah. very much. Did you have exactly. a, a particular favorite series that you liked? You know, the last one which I loved, 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 loved was, uh, comment ça s'appelle? Big Little Lies or Little Big Lies? Big Little Lies. Big, Big Little Lies. Yes. I just watched it the other day for yeah, the first time. Because I think one? the second series is about to come out. Yes. Isn't it? I don't yes, know about that. It's coming out this year. Everyone's talking about it. It's very, It was very, very good. But also it was a full-on great thing. The casting was fantastic. Everything which was happening. But there is something which I hate is when people are talking of a movie. You haven't seen it, but you want to see it. And you have, ah, you are going to love it. You know, it starts like that and it ends like that. You know, you just I spoiled it. So I don't want to say more about that. But let's say everything from the music to the casting to the stories. It's really all, all, all good. I know. And I'm quite excited for the second series. But I think the first series was based on a book, right? So they've, on a novel, which Reese Witherspoon developed yes so exactly. i think they've had to develop the second series as a maybe you should ask to write the, the third series <laughs> <laughs> but no nicole kidman was i mean she's and reese witherspoon i just thought they were both fantastic incredible she I was so that perfectly annoying i mean I i'm talking of the character reese you want to smash her I she's know. so good to so, sort of annoy so you not hate she's not hateful in the character she's just really annoying you just can't help watching her when she's on screen. She has that charisma. You can't take your eyes off her mm -hmm. when she's, even when she's with other people. No, oh, she's a I wonderful agree. actress. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was very good. And I just discovered her Instagram account. Have you seen her on Instagram? Reese Witherspoon? No. Very funny. Yes. Yeah. Good. Very funny. She has like millions of followers, but it's like her and her mum doing boomerangs and funny videos. And, and she's always very funny and very good. 
Anyway, so on this podcast, we talk about five the different five different things which have some meaning to you or you find inspiring in some way. And okay. um, I know we were talking about how you like cinema. And I noticed that one of the pieces that we have in front of us is a photograph of Elizabeth Taylor as Cleopatra. Yeah, The 60s Absolutely. film. That's a beautiful, I, I love that picture. Actually, that picture is in my office. And it's funny because I never think of that. Uh, I've never think of things. Sometimes by instinct, I buy things or I get things or I keep things or I store things that are still in front of my eyes in my office all the time. So this is one of the examples. Uh, but just looking at it this morning, I thought, I mean, she's a representation of many things. That picture is a representation of many things that I like. First, I have known Dame, Dame Elizabeth, which I adored. You knew her? Yeah, yeah I knew her. I knew her. And she was a fantastic character. She was also, she was, and I barely met many people like that. She was exactly at the expectation of your expectation about who she would be, who she was. She was bigger than life. She was as exciting in real than in the movies or what you project into someone that you don't know but who makes part of the entertainment, whatever, that, that, that cinema, etc. She was as funny, I mean, even funnier, uh, as wonderful, she was a generous, wonderful person. She's been very active into other things and movies. She was a great, she was a great friend. She was really, really, really fantastic. But on that picture, she's also, she's also, uh, it's just her profile portrait on a movie, which is Cleopatra. And I do love Cleopatra because I do have a big thing about Egypt. So it's a portrait of one of my favorite person, my favorite actress in one of my favorite, not my favorite movie, but a great, great, great movie about Egypt. Because you found out your father was from Egypt, which is something you only yeah. found out recently. Yeah, recently. I found, yeah, yeah. No, it starts to be not so recently anymore. No, it's more than five years more that I know that I'm half Egyptian. So Yeah. Um, I'm still very bad with my with my Arabic, but uh, you're learning it. La, la, la. Um, I'm going to take lessons. I did take lessons at one point, and then due to problems in Egypt, etc., I ended up not being able to go back for a little while. So it made me stop my Egyptian. But I'm going to go back. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm going in March, and I'm going to take some lessons. But I was I used to go frequently to Egypt before, so it was easier because it's, mm -hmm. you know, I think that language has very much to see for me at least with musicality and uh, if you if you want to learn a language it's it's very very easy if you're in the country because the sounds are not alien you already have them in your head in your memories etc so when you have to actually pronounce a, a, ha, a, ha, a ha, etc it's not coming from nowhere and uh, you already registered it mm. so it's much easier so i have this tendency to 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 uh, learn language when I often go to the country and in the country because it's really it's much easier. It's much easier. I had you, you know it's like the famous thing you have. You want to you want to learn uh, f uh, French. You have to to have a French lover. I'm talking yeah. for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. But um, so you should. Yeah. <laughs> tu devrais, chérie. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you speak Portuguese? Well, you had a very good, I just heard you say something point. before and it sounded si, like... Si, si. Fala no, I started my lessons because um, I'm designing my summer collection in, 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 uh, in Brazil. So I have this attachment to Brazil 
in the summer, in the Brazilian summer. So, and also I have a house in Portugal. So it sort of makes sense to speak uh, Portuguese. And you also have with a, a Brazilian lover? teacher. <laughs> <laughs> no, not lover. Um, you Portuguese also have a lover. house in Egypt. Yes. Well, you have several houses that I've read about. Anyway, too many that I could even keep up with. Um, what else do you have to bring to speak to me about in terms of your objects? Ah, objects. I found you that. So it was for me. It was difficult to. Your question about object was difficult because, first of all, I love objects. I don't consider myself as a collector, but I have a lot of objects, and it actually comes from from my childhood. I always collected objects. I always traveled a lot since I'm a kiddish, like teenager, and uh, and always brought back a lot of things from. Um, so when it's asked to me to select some object, it's always complicated. Why is this one, not this one? Why not this one? But yes, but what about this one? You know. So you've been making me struggle. But I just had to look around my office, as I'm a bit lazy, and to find things around the office. Okay. My own little office upstairs. So that's... Should, we, should I hold it? Yes. So this is another framed... Is it, it's a photograph? It's a photograph. It's actually a collage. It's a, it's a photograph um, of a wonderful artist uh, called, I would say artist because he's not a new photographer. He was a photographer, but he's, he was a painter as well. And also he was a writer, mostly a photographer and a painter. He was writing a lot of letters to, to people, including Duchamp. What was his name? Pierre Molinier. So Pierre Molinier has been this really interesting, fantastic, for me, first of all, a fantastic um, photographer. The interesting thing of Molinier is that he, if you look at the pictures, you, different, you definitely have different layers. First of all, the pictures are photographs that he would do. Then he would cut them, do collage with them, re-photograph and redo collage so it's a whole uh, it's a whole process it's not just a still life so you see this one do you know when this was made which, roughly which sort of decade uh it was this is definitely from the 50s i recognize it for a very simple reason the shoes so if you look it's three pairs of legs a pair of hands and a face in the middle and uh, so you see that's definitely a collage and so he was the master, master, master of collage and quite a fetishist also. So the shoes are from the 50s, they're from Ernest. But it's not only, I mean, it makes part of the thing that I've really been looking at since I'm like, you know, in my early 20s. But the, the story about the guy, so he was living a, sort of sim, something which seemed like a very peaceful life in the 50s, living by Bordeaux. And... Uh, and he was having a very banal day job, like working in a post or something. And at the same time, he was photographing himself in the night. He was married, uh, but he had this type of second life. In the evening, he would have a little studio where he would photograph himself. He would dress up as a woman, photograph himself with a mask, a loup, with a small black mask, and some accessories, different accessories. Then 
he would have a mirror on the back or the second background that he would have is a toile de juillet and photograph himself in different postures, then cut the thing. But it's quite amazing to see what he looks like as a man and how he looks like as a woman. And um, so the picture, most of the pictures are him dressed as a woman, but or he had someone he adored and some different characters around him that he always loved. So his best friend, his best friend women, a mistress, a, a, a young guy, I mean, like a, he was a dancer, I think, called Tanel, who was in his 20s. So few people around him that he would photograph, never his wife, and then do a full collage of it. So it's quite an obsessive work. It's very much of an obsessive work. It's been really scrutinized by many, many people. But for some reason, as there is a very sexual thing on his pictures, it's never been brought too broad. And... Um, I've always loved his pictures, and it's funny because people often feel uncomfortable, and but I don't. I never did feel uncomfortable. The other thing about his work, first of all, there is a lot about shoes and legs, which is probably a connection that I have with him. But also there is something very calligraphic. You know, you have two ways to read it. I see some people getting shocked with they see some picture where there is breast, asses and penises and the different objects, etc. And but I just um I just don't see I mean I don't see it that way. I can see that, I can see through that. But what I love is actually the sense of the graphism and the sense of the calligraphy. It's almost like a big calligraphy. This is the thing which I then eventually if you look closer, there is a lot of sexual things etc but first of all i've never been sort of shocked by anything sexual thing but it's really it's more the visual things that what i see really um clearly yeah. and so i i see that sometimes people stop to you know there is le fond et la forme i'm interested by la forme instead of le fond but i don't know how you say that in english le fond le fond et la forme the way things are done or what it means. Mm -hmm. And I guess I'm very, I remain very superficial, so I'm interested at in what it looks like instead of what it means. You know, so there, there is no discomfort when I'm looking at a picture because there is a lot of sexy things around, but I just see the beauty of the finished work, not what, uh, how would I feel if I was in the same position than the person right. in the picture? You don't take it so literally, yeah. the process of it. Exactly. Is that something that you feel is a reflection of your own work and how you... Yes, absolutely. There yeah. is definitely, uh, I can feel again a connection with Molinier. For instance, there is a lot of sexual aspects on his pictures and I've often been described of someone who has almost like a touch of, you know, high heels being considered for sometimes dominatrix and very sexualized, etc. The spikes being very considered as a type of fetishist thing. And, uh, but, you know, that's a way that I can be perceived. But what is interesting when people's work is that there is what I would call some suggestion and some projections. Mm -hmm. So when you look at the work of someone, you are thinking that the person say that, but you are most of the time projecting what are your thoughts. And if you get attached to something, some work of someone, 
and you speak about it, you speak def- it, it speaks often of you. You speak of yourself instead. So you put another person, another canvas on what you're thinking or what you are maybe interested in, but you're talking of yourself, you know. And often I love the descriptions of some artists, uh, which is like dead artists, and people can put a lot of their own thoughts on dead people's work. You know, it's easy. Yeah. No one is going to say, hello, I've never thought about that. And, you know, but so there is this thing. I, so there was a lot of people who sort of always thought that I was very into sex and and super sexy. But for instance, me, Spikes, I think like Spikes is definitely inspired by objects. So it's even Otepog, medieval, etc. You have leather for me and spikes is something that I'm it, it, a reference to medieval period for me. It has no, I mean, I can sort of imagine that one can pro- project something else like a, a sexual dominatrix, a bandage thing. But the reality, and I don't say I'm against it or it's not. But it's just not my thing, for instance. Mm. I've never been such a very sexual person. And I, I think that my work sometimes expresses something which could be considered as very sexual, but it doesn't mean that I'm that sexual. I mean, I wish I was, maybe, <laughs> but I'm, it's not. Um, what else are we talk- going to talk about today? Ah, yeah. This is... This a, is uh, an I'm having a ring. It's a ring. Yeah. It's a ring which was given uh, to me by a good friend of mine, Um who's a basketball player called Tony Parker. So that the rings of the champion ring of the Spurs. It's enormous. Yeah, yeah. Listen, in general, they're taller than me, yeah? So that's a sign of the Spurs. And um, so but that's... he's an a, American basketball player. He's actually French, half French, half American, but he's NBA, so yeah, playing in, playing in Americans. How did you meet him? I met him because he came to do uh, to do a surprise to his wife. So uh, he was he wanted me to do uh, a special pair of shoes for his wife, his wife that he was going to marry actually. And um, and so I met him like that because he was asking me to do something quite special for his wife, and I was. Uh, it's always nice, you know, when a man is actually coming to do a present. Like a bespoke shoe? or Like a bespoke shoes, exactly. But it's always nice that when a man is taking care of that for his girlfriend or for, for his wife. It's, it's a very sweet sign for me. And um, because it's a very small object and it's a, it's a very intimate object. So when a man is really completely uh, in love, one of the objects he could really go through, and it's an intimate object, are the shoes. So it's always, it's a nice sign. And so that's how we met. That's how I met the first time. And um, what is interesting is that um, I had started to design shoes for men, but it was still very much a surprise for me what type of men I had uh, wearing my men's shoes. And... So he's a big, big sportman. And uh, so it was interesting for me to see that he was coming for his wife, but he was having a pair of my shoes already. And uh, when I started my men's shoes, I really, it came for, it came actually by, um, by a performer. 
I had designed shoes, men's shoes for for me, for some of my friends, but I never thought of designing a full men collection. Don't know why exactly, but the the reason it was I had people in mind I, 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 in terms of vast collection. I was thinking that a man is the image that I had of a man is is uh, someone who keeps the shoes for a very long time, who is very proud to have his shoes for like 10, 20 years. Maybe he's going to have the same size of the son is going to have the same size. He keeps them for his son, who may be so excited to have his father's shoes, etc. So another thing, it's perfectly well done. You know, in England, you have wonderful best book person for that, etc. So it's perfectly well done by different brands. So I was not interested to actually activate that part and um which is not really me and so the fact is when a young performer that i knew as a, a performer but i didn't know him called me and he was going to tour it's called mika he's mm. uh, american pop, lebanese right pop star. yeah exactly yeah. so he called me and he asked me to do shoes uh, for his shows because he was going to tour and um so after a long discussion over the phone, I say, okay, yeah, okay. I mean, you know, I'm going to try to do what you're asking me because he was telling very much about how he is in his show, etc. And so I say, I just have a question for you. Why do you ask to me, who is designing for women, to do shoes for you, who is a man? He said, you know, I have sisters, I have girlfriends, and there is something that you do, which is obvious, is that a woman puts a pair of your shoes She's super excited, and she said, and he was saying, I see it all the time with my sisters, and it's a thing. I don't know how you just do that, but it's really great. I'm just asking you to do the same thing for a guy because on stage I need the same way to be really cheered up about everything I'm wearing. So I ask you to cheer me up. I said, okay, you know what? Fair enough. I'm going to try to do that. So thinking of someone on stage, I actually started to design very, very easily a collection. And I realized that if I had put another type of man in my head, it was very easy for me to design. So what kind of shoe did you design for Mika? I had designed a lot of sneakers for Mika. And I had designed a lot of very, very dainty shoes, pretty much the opposite. The whole thing was very, very shiny. And some things were actually reflecting, uh, reflecting. So it was like paved of like a, a type of fabric, which is a, like a rhodoid to actually reflect a lot of lights that he could have during the stage. And I had a lot of fun doing that. And it was very, suddenly it was very easy for me to think like that. Mm. And then I realized of that, that, you know, I always had this thing in mind that uh, there is always, uh, on every woman there is a bit of a showgirl somewhere, but on every man there is a bit of a showman. And sometimes even there is a bit of a showgirl in every man, you know. And so I tapped into that. And um, what I had not realized at the time is that, you know, so first, most of my first clients, so when I, I did the first collection for men, um, I had it in three different places, New York, Paris, and London. And most men who came immediately were actors or singers. So entertainers. But the funny part, which was uh, I was not expecting, is that we had a lot of actors, we had a lot of uh, pop singers, etc., but a lot of sportmen. 
And I never thought that in sport, I always liked sport in a different way, uh, but I, I never had realized before that that sport is giving exactly the same thing. Sport is, is a great thing, you know, but also the big sportmen are great performers. So they deliver maybe a type of record, that's why they're the best sportmen in their category, but also it's you know it's not when you sing like basketball for instance it's not the only moment where the ball gets in the net that you get excited the whole game you get excited so if Kobe Bryant you know you're watching Kobe Bryant it's not only because he's putting the thing on the net that he's one of the greatest sportsmen in in the world you know for a long time it's also because of his attitude because of his character and they're great performers, you know, the way they're playing, they're acting, you know. That's such an interesting theory, because I was totally going to ask you about why football players, British football players love to wear your shoes. You know what? Because I think that sportmen and great sportmen are delivering performances. And they are actors. I mean, I've been seeing a lot of football, a lot of rugby games, a lot. Of, and even if they need all their concentration, there is something in the back, but also basketball. So it's something in the back of them, they deliver you a performance. And if you like such so much sportmen, it's not because they're the best in their category, you know. Mm -hmm. It's also because they're delivering great performances. And that's really the link between actors and sportmen, you know. So how did you become the recipient of this ring then? Because I because I'm worth it, I <laughs> guess. Because he loves you. What? I, I, and can we just because it's kind of. Um, do you know that word gaudy? British word gaudy. Gaudy means no. like um, kind of over the top, glamorous, but in an almost slightly tacky way. Right, it's totally gaudy. But you know, it's it's a trophy. It's something that he it's gets a, when he becomes when exactly. he wins. Exactly. So he won it. Exactly. Okay. It's a trophy and ring. He gave it to you. It's a trophy ring. When a team uh, from NBA. Uh, is winning the, the whole year. They had, there is, a, uh, there is a, um, a ceremony of the champion. Mm. So the champion has one ring and he has two rings that he can give to whoever he wants, which is, so, which is uh, the, the replica of his ring. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I have that. And it's very good, isn't it? Yeah. Is it heavy? Pretty heavy. Yeah. You want to try? Is it made of? Re is it real? Is it made of something valuable, or is it more just yeah, for show? Yeah, it's totally valuable. Is that diamonds? Yeah, I guess so. Really? Do you have lots of jewelry? I collect jewelry. I never wear jewelry. It's probably one of the only I have two. It's got a little picture of a basketball player, and the basketball is a diamond. Yeah, and it's <laughs> very very nice. I, I have it. two rings that I wear. This one, and a ring which is um, not gaudy at all, as you would say. <laughs> It's a cameo and it's a profile. It's a present. It's, you know, jewelry is a funny thing. I buy jewelry for people and I re I've been receiving jewelry, but I never bought jewelry for myself. I never bought jewelry for myself, but it's a, it's a, it's a fantastic gift. I love to give and I love to receive. So, so yes, so I have this one. I have another one, which is a profile of, of uh, Nefertiti, mm. so not Cleopatra, but Nefertiti, which is this beautiful profile and this sort of famous bust out of the bust that you can see in Berlin. And um, so I have only two rings, but I love jewelry. Where do you go shopping for these things? Is it auction houses or from just traveling and markets? Um, auction houses, traveling, anywhere. 
not really online. I'm not a big online person. That's the only thing. But apart from that, uh, yeah, sort of everywhere. Sort of, a, but mostly auctions. Auction is a is a great thing. England, everywhere. Here, everywhere. Sweden, everywhere. India, fantastic. But sort of everywhere. But my most of most of the things that I have are coming from Paris. I mean, from auctions, from auctions. I go every. It's on the way. It's on my way to the office, so I go every two days. Wow. I'm going every day to the office, but every two days, auction are changing. Otherwise, wow. it would be every day. Mm-hmm. So you but it's also in? a big source for me because I always loved objects. So I buy objects, I loot objects, and it's, it's a thing which comes back very often in my work. You know, the way I work is looking at things, you know, when you get inspired by things, I can sort of be inspired by anything, but um, a conversation, someone, a way someone is walking, etc. But then uh, after that, also objects, shapes. and But what I do always is if I have things, even if I buy them or not buy them, I, when I'm designing, I have nothing around me. That's the thing. It It's more important for me, if, even if I think of an exhibition, of a music, of a, an object, to not to not to have it in front of me, the reason is is that when you're designing, unless you want to copy, which is not in my thing, definitely not. Uh, what I like to do is to think of things, but through my memory. So when it goes to the filter of your memory, you know any exhibition you will have seen, and maybe a hundred, a hundred thousand other people have seen the same exhibition. If you think of the exhibition your way. So instead of having just a catalog and thinking, oh, ta, 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 you know, your way, your the, 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 your memory, the filter of your memory is going to ingest it and digest it, and then it comes your, it becomes yours. So then that's why inspiration is not a problem. Copy is a different story. Hmm. So keeping the things next to me with my eyes, I would have that weird tendency that it's that I would end up doing something that everybody could do the same way. Because if you have a thing, you know, you become literal. That's why I think it's important. For me, it's important in order to not to be literal, to not to have the thing, to think. But it's a memory. It's a remembrance of something that you have in your mind. Yeah, that makes sense. That's like filtered through. Then it becomes Louboutin because it's filtered through mm-hmm. your mind. You know, I'm going to tell you one thing because yeah. I was discussing this yesterday with a friend of mine and who is an architect. And... Um, so he said that sometimes he has the same thing and it's very embarrassing. Sometimes I'm dreaming, not all the time, but I'm dreaming of a situation and I'm in that situation or I'm not in the situation, but I see properly the person. And when sometimes, you mean when you're asleep dreaming? Or, yeah, 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 sleep yeah. dreaming. Yeah, sleep dreaming, sorry. And I see a woman and she has a very nice pair of shoes. So I look at the shoes in my, uh, in, in my dream. And then, before waking up, I think, okay, I should really do that. I should really draw that shoes. And when I wake up, even if I know that it comes from a dream, I think I can't do that shoes. That shoe is already existing. And then it takes me some violence to say, hold on, you you saw it in your dream, so it sort of belongs to yeah. you. You are not copying anyone. But I have this thing, which is weird, is that I'm thinking. It's not mine. I didn't design it. It was already designed, you know, but I designed it in my head, in my, in my dream. But the fact that it's 
pre-designed. I have a hard time to, 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 you know, I have a hard time to say, hold on, it's, you, didn't, you didn't take it from anyone. You actually have it in your head. That, but having something in your head when you're awake is very different as a perception of having something in your head when you're sleepy. Because when you're sleepy, even if you know that it's only a dream, there is something which is very, very concretized. You know, you, 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 you see proper things, you see proper elements, you see, you know. So it's bizarre. For me, it's always bizarre to decide it's only a dream, but think that the dream is yours. So you can actually activate that dream is yours. So you can actually take that dream. But on this friend architect says that sometime he had been designing buildings that he really had in his head when he was sleeping and he was like traveling and he saw this beautiful building and he thought the same way he thought i can't do that you know that building is already existing but it's you know it's just to say how much sometimes things are really 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 concretized in dreams in a very very powerful way do you think that's something that is an anxiety for creative people to always be make sure that you're being original there's that worry that it's creating something that already exists. I think so. Mm. I do think so. And I think that, but this I can only talk for myself. I, I need to feel to totally legitimate in what, in what I'm doing. That's why, for instance, you see, I've been, I've been doing women's shoes. It took me a while to, to, design, to design men's shoes. I had to feel legitimate for some reason. And uh, I would have never done it if it was just on... A business move i can understand but I, it's not my mentality and um, i've been proposed i started the company now 27 years ago and i've been proposed so many things and uh, it's only tempting for me it's only tempting for like five minutes do you, you mean know? to do design you've been people have asked you to design uh, you know things. i've been asked to design uh, i've been asked to to do clothes for instance to have a couture house. I was proposed a couture wow. house. I was proposed to design cars. I was proposed to design actually buildings. I love architecture. I'm a slightly frustrated architect, but I would never design building. I know that I'm unable to. So it's literally a lot of things. The thing is that, you know, if it's just only to put my name, it doesn't make any sense for me. So unless there is a full legitimacy, I always refused everything which was proposed to me. And, um, and what I started myself is out of legitimacy. Yeah, I'm slightly ob obsessed by legitimacy. Mm. I don't know why. Uh, to me, that makes sense because as a creative person, I mean, I don't know, but are your, your ideas are what every, all you have yeah. at mm -hmm. the end of the day. Absolutely. Mm. It's interesting, that whole idea of dreams, though. Um, do you want to tell me about the these products that we have in front of us? Ah, yes. you've designed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are the these are the Luby ones. So that's one. So this is a woman's. Yeah. Sneaker. There's a woman it? and there's a man's sneakers. These are so, the men. You see, the, it's, you. it's very simple. The bigger size are the men, and the smaller size are yes, the women. Yes. Easy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's funny. I've been, you know, again. As I was telling you previously, there is a lot of um, perception, suggestion, projection. And I've always been, I mean, for a long time, I've been considered as, I'm still meeting women who says, I love what you do, but you only do high heels. And it's funny because I started with 
flat shoes and high heel, sort of quite an extreme sport. And, um, but I sort of became much more specialized in people's mind of high heels, where I've been doing from the first collection, I did flat sandals, light, everything, boots, etc., high, flat, etc. But the perception has been for a long time high heels. And, um, and, but I've always been designing different things. So I've been designing sneakers for years. I started the sneakers. They also have a red, a red sole. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And uh, I've been designing sneakers. I've been designing for men for 10 years. So I've been designing sneakers for more than 10 years now for women. And, uh, but the perception has never been there. But it's also funny because it's, uh, I have to say, when I was designing, when I was first designing women's sneakers, I had a more masculine approach to my work. And designing, uh, designing sneakers is really almost, for me, it designing uh, a car. So even if I was proposed, I had been proposed to design a car, which I didn't do, I had the feeling that I had designed cars already, designing sneakers. It's a different thing. You know, when I'm designing for women, even if it's a flat shoe, I'm going to be really drawing with curves. Designing sneakers, it's a completely different way to design because it's no longer curves, which are so important, but also different fragmentation of, of, of lines. So it's really technically on the on the side of the not even talking technically when the shoe is done, but technically for me, drawing is completely, uh, it, it puts me in a different character. And so it's always been a challenge and an exciting challenge for me to design sneakers because my drawing is different. My drawing is different. And, you know, when I'm designing for women, I'm designing for men and for women, basically. And uh, when I'm designing for women, I put myself really, my state of mind is, uh, you know, femininity. And I'm a man, but still I have a feminine approach to things. I look at a piece of fabric, I'm going to touch it and think, can I drape it? Can I do a bow? Can I do, you know, that's a feminine way to, a, a feminine perception. When I enter uh, me designing for men, if I take a piece of fabric, I'm going to have the same approach, you know, but not can I do a bow with it. It's, so it's different, you know, my way, it's, is that thick enough, you know, it's are different you thinking structures. Because obviously when people choose to wear a pair of sneakers or trainers, as we call them in the UK, um, it's either for function, for a sport, to, for performance, mm -hmm. sportswear, or for fashion. Mm -hmm. um, so what category, do you, are you thinking about performance at all as a trainer or are these purely for... No. That's real performance, I'm, I'm thinking of performance, but I'm not re thinking in real performance. Like, you know, for, because I've known, I know a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, sportmen, athletes. And so when you enter, when you enter the world of athletes, really strong athletes, there is so many specific things which enter. So it's completely a different mm -hmm. thing, you know, according to what you do, you know, the ankle is going to be important. You have to protect the knee. You don't have to protect the knee. You have to tie the ankles. You have to leave the ankles loose. You have to grab in the front. You have to be sure that, you know, you can stop from the back, from the back. You know, it's very, very, very technical. So I don't have the pretension to do things which are for like a real, real athlete. They could perform the best way. And, you know, when you're an athlete, the way you're going to look, the way you're going to scan a thing is really how 
it's going to affect your body muscle performance language so i wouldn't go that far i wouldn't go that far but it's definitely on the on the sporty side on the sporty side really with all the elements which are of sport when it's like the, the trainers you call it in england yeah we call them trainers but i know in the us they say sneakers so and in france they say le basket Les baskets, ouais. yeah, plus right. ou moins les baskets. Yeah. Um, and, and what is some? Is there something that's particularly different about these ones to your previous sneakers that you've designed? Yeah, these ones have have different soles. I mean, you know, the, the element of the sole is completely different. Mm. It's completely different. So this is a, a completely new sole. Which so it really, I cannot say anything else. That I'm thinking of a car when I'm, you know, when I, when I've been sort of drawing them. I was really thinking of a type of car if you sort of remove the legs out of it i can tell you it's it's a cross between a car and a boat so it's really like a machine a machine to go quick so there is this energy so that's what is uh, translating the drawings and but you know so it's very very interesting the world of sneakers because it's uh, let's say that for instance if you're someone who doesn't wear colors you will still consider wear colored super colorful sneakers trainers basket etc and uh, you do see a, a, a great thing for me when i'm designing sneakers is that i put a lot of colors i'm really coming from the world of colors but i know in general that when it comes to men's shoes you know men don't wear colors unless they put sneakers trainers uh, basket uh, running shoes etc they have no problem so there is an element now which i always like to work with and i take it very much in consideration is that Almost by decades, there is an element, I'm talking of men now, there is an element where people are expressing, let's say you consider yourself as a quite normal person, but you, even being normal, you have your own expression, you have your own fantasy, you are going to, to put it into one place, you know, into one place. So at one point in the 70s, it was a hair, you know, it, let's say, if you look at men in a black tie or whatever, in the 70s, what they want to express their own fantasies, their own personality is going to go in the hair. At one point, it's the size of the tie, the bow, etc., which arrives. You know, there is always a segment where even in an, on a black basic, uh, on a black basic silhouette, you want to say who you are and you want to express your personality. The funny, the funny part of that thing is that People, uh, people go in one category, almost, I'm not saying one decade to one decade, but, you know, there is a long period where it's, you know, people are going to get hysterical about the hair. People are going to be hysterical about, like, a big element, the vest, the thing, etc., with the colors. And now it's definitely the shoes. It has been the shoes for a while, and now it's even more the sneakers. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. What's next, do you think? What's the next area? The next area is definitely right now. It's definitely the shoes. Yeah, these crazy. Which is perfectly fine with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, your shoes may mean that people always wear, always wear the the heels. Um, do you have one more object you'd like to talk about? I was thinking to speak of an object which I have here, which is this mirror, but we actually sort of have pretty much covered a lot of things about object. It's coming from Drew. And, uh, uh, the auction house yeah. yeah and it's uh, but i love that object you know why it's um it's a weird object i've i found it in an auction house like this it was in the middle of a, a mess 
you know, I go to the great thing of auction house in Paris is that it's not specialized. It's not that you have a big catalog and it's super fancy, etc. It's like boom, thrown everything. It just has a number. So it's not a catalog. There is like a Xerox of things, and then you know, with an estimation. So this thing I looked at, and I thought uh, it's a nice object which could be nice in not at my place, but probably in a shop or something. So I don't have so much of a um, frontier between my work and my professional life and my personal life. Let's put it that way. So sometimes you know, objects are coming from uh, from. I buy a thing for me and then it goes to a store or I buy a thing for a store and it stays at home. You know, I don't have that thing. I'm not a big nine to five, uh, nine to five type of character. And I sleep in my factory. I work on Sundays. I don't mind. I really don't mind. I mean, it's not that I don't mind. It's that I do exactly what I want. So I do like it that way. And so that object is, I just bought it thinking it's going to be nice in a store. Make actually be in a store at one point. And um, and when I bought it, after it arrived here, I looked and there is like a little etiquette, a little gold plaque. Yeah. And it says that it's a gift from Imperatrice Eugenie, from the uh, imp imp Empress Eugenia, so which, who was a wife of Napoleon III, uh, to, to who actually, I don't even remember, to ah see si, to Ferdinand de Lesseps. Ferdinand no, de Lesseps was a person who built the, can the Suez Canal, and uh, so it's related to Ferdinand de Lesseps and to Egypt and and to l'impératrice Eugénie. And I just discovered it after. You didn't even know until after you bought it. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that you know, the, uh, which which year which what this? Yeah, exactly the building of Sadoued Milwaukee. Uh, 1875, I would say probably 18, hold on a second, 1870 something. Yeah. She was, even before that, because I think that uh, Second Empire stopped in 1871. Uh, so just before 1871. Wow. So we should just say, it's, how high is it? How it's like? It's, uh, it's my size. No? Which is? Let me check. You're quite. <laughs> yeah, it is exactly your, your height. How, t how tall are you? I'm 177, so I don't know in feet and whatever, but I'm uh, 177 centimeters. Okay, so it's 177 centimeters. So five high. feet ten or something five, like that? Yeah, five foot ten. I don't high. know why you <laughs> Brits are still talking in miles. I'm, oh, I mean, why I'm do you fine. guys drive on the right? I mean, it's just... <laughs> Everyone drives on the right. Come on, you're the only one who drives on the left. You have to stop that. Okay, we're, the, we're the, just weird like that. <laughs> You were born like we're that. We're just weird like that, aren't we? We're yeah, just stubborn. Listen, there is this word which says, every tradition has started one day. So one cannot say we're born like that. There is a moment, there is a starting point. Okay. Forget about that starting point. Go back to centimeters, <laughs> please. If I it's a postcard for England, I say, stop with the feet and the foot and the inches. Oh. Go two centimeters your life is going to be much easier i kind of like feel like feet is so i feel very affectionate towards feet anyway but how it's okay also, so you're so, not going in my no, chapel no, no, no. <laughs> okay i'll do i'll change for that <laughs> so the height so it's that high but we should describe it and um, because also so it's a massive uh so oblong it's it's mirror it's two it's um how? it's actually two women 
type of harem style with a beautiful ornament on their on their um, f- uh, forehead and a lot of jewelry and a lot of collier type of berber collier. So, so they're holding the mirror and they're holding the mirror with their hands with a very pretty hands and full of bracelet and they have big ropes around the uh, around their waist so it's definitely an idea of a Egyptian slash uh, fella, Egyptian slash Berber woman living in a caravanserai or in a harem. So it's a very 19th century um, idea of mm. exotism of the Middle East. The table- and they're holding this big oval globe, which is all, um, come on, the, uh, lined, no, not lined, uh, upholstered in velvet. This beautiful, oh, velvet. actually like brown, pretty... Is it brown velvet? No, it's uh, so it's, it's purple away. velvet. Oh, okay. It's a purple velvet. It's quite English, actually, in the color. <laughs> just not in feet. <laughs> it's no. just not in feet. <laughs> <laughs> is that table attached to it, or is that, is that part of it? And then there is a consola, which made Consol- part of the gift for Mr. Ferdinand de Seps by Imperatrice Eugenie. There should be a date. Why do you think she gave it to him? Because like that? because he did that great job. <laughs> he did that great job of doing the Suez Canal. You know, it was not that easy. Huh? We're very, very proud. You know, French people are very proud of few, few people. One is definitely Ferdinand Lesseps, and uh, the other one is Eiffel. Eiffel, you know, it's very funny. When I travel, I just come back from Senegal, for instance, and there was a big bridge in a, in a city called Saint Louis. And I looked at it and I said, it looks like an Eiffel. And, and actually, it was Eiffel. So oh, it's uh, the architecture of Eiffel is definitely symbolized by the Eiffel Tower, but he's been he's been a big engineer. Yeah. And you find a lot of his, you know, industrial work in a lot of places in the world. Huh. Super interesting. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It was a real pleasure. Have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> That was an episode of The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion podcast. You can find more episodes and more about Five Carlos Place on the Matches Fashion website. And you can join the conversation on social media by searching for at Matches Fashion, at Matches Fashion Man and the hashtag Five Carlos Place. Thanks for listening.